You are listening to Danvers Audio, a podcast by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Thanks for listening. This is Grant Castleberry, Executive Director for CBMW, and I got my man, Eric Bancroft, down from Indianapolis, pastor of Castleview Baptist Church. Man, it's good to have you here. Thank you. It's good to be here. So you're in town, and we just thought that we'd get you on the show and kind of talk about uh, fatherhood, parenting, and uh, specifically raising boys. But first, uh, many of the many of our listeners don't know this about you, but you were on John MacArthur's staff for how many years? Uh, Ten years in different capacities. The last six years as a uh, student ministries pastor. And, and what else? Well, while my, during my first four years, it was corresponded to the time I was in seminary at the Master's Seminary. And uh, I was desperate to learn anything and everything I could from the pastoral staff, mm-hmm. John and others included. And so they were very gracious to me and allowed me to serve in the capacity of a pastoral intern to John's personal assistant. Uh, I also served as a maintenance manager for Grace to You, broadcast editor for Grace to You, and then uh, my final responsibility at the end of my time in seminary was the Shepherds Conference director. Man, awesome. So many of us just see John MacArthur. He's just like larger than life. He's just, you know, cranking out hour-long sermons morning and night Sundays at Grace Community Church. So you kind of saw him on an inside personal level. Can you kind of talk us about what that was like? Sure. Well, I had the privilege over the 10 years that I was there in different capacities on staff, both as a pastor and elder, and then prior to that in the capacities I just mentioned, to see John up close and personal. And I can tell you from firsthand countless experiences that the man is a man of great integrity. Mm. Uh, I think some people are taken back by the strength of his preaching and the resolve that he represents in the pulpit. And they wrongly associate him personally as being somebody who might be relationally aloof Mm -hmm. or be cold and callous and interacting with people on an individual level. Nothing could be further from the truth. Mm. John is an incredibly generous and gracious person. I saw countless examples of his interaction with other people um, in ways that was incredibly uh, patient. People would confront him wrongly. And he would be glad to hear them and be glad to seek their forgiveness as anything that he had done personally that he was not aware of, uh, only to then win them later with his generosity towards them and how he would just try to bless them and thank them and encourage them. Mm. I could think of times where John has uh, personally just been generous to people financially. Uh, it kind of became a reputation that you didn't go anywhere with John in a store and say anything that you liked because if you did... John would end up buying it for you. And he didn't mean that to happen. He just meant to say, hey, I like that tie. Next thing you know, he'd have bought you the tie. I could think of times where he was before the congregation appealing to Mm -hmm. them to give to the needs of the church around the world. And at times just feeling like he had done that enough that he wanted just himself to take care of those needs. Mm -hmm. A lot of things that most people do not see and know about John behind the scenes, that if they did, would only but further commend and endorse the public ministry of John MacArthur. Mm. He is a man of integrity who has for years, for decades, paid careful attention to his life and his doctrine. And as a young man who has seen that up up close, has wanted to emulate that in my own ministry, to a much less degree, of course, but to the same principled uh, practice. And as a father today, as a pastor today, as a husband today, 
it's my desire to do that exact same thing. So what's the funniest story that you can kind of tell, tell some of the, our listeners about your time out of Grace Community Church? Well, I can, uh, on, a, on a personal level, I can think of one time where uh, it was after church on a Sunday night, uh-huh. hanging around, and uh, my sons are very young at this time. I have three sons now. I had two sons at the time when this had happened. They were young, toddler-age boys, and my wife and I are hanging around and chatting, and John was right there, and my sons were, were kind of going up and down the stairs of the, uh, of the pulpit area, kind of after the service along the yeah. carpet. And John turned and then asked the question, uh, whose sons are those? Whose boys are those? <laughs> and it was kind of this pregnant pause of a question. And I said, well, they're my sons, thinking I was about to receive some sort of maybe a correction about my children and how they're behaving. And to which he just said, how wonderful it is that your kids are enjoying being here. Hmm. Kids need to love the church. Hmm. They need to have pastors as dads who teach them that this is a place where they're going to spend time, and it's special to be a, a, a son of a pastor. And you get mm. access, and you get to see things. He tells the story of when his sons were young, and they got to hide in the pulpit, that which goes up and down hydraulically at Grace Church, and how that was fun for them. And they could do that because they're a pastor's kids. So those sort of funny moments where you've seen that. Uh, at, a, at a different level, as far as the funny story, um, John is a man of, uh, of notoriety, both, mm. uh, both for good and for bad. And uh, there have been people who have tried to uh, seek to harm John in different ways. By bad, you're talking about for what he stood against That's exactly doctrinally. Right. With... That's exactly right. And, uh, and thankfully, John is well cared for and served by a number of uh, great men at the church who protect John physically. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen... Uh, Were you no- one of them at some point? Or? <laughs> no, I was not. They need real people to help protect John, not the uh, the Barney Fifes of uh, Grace Community Church. And I've seen those men be uh, privately uh, brought down and escorted out outside mm. of the uh, the eye of most people as they were ushered into a police car waiting for them. Wow. They sought to uh, bring harm to John, but God's grace protected John and his ministry continues today. So you're at Grace Community Church for 10 years and all through seminary. And then how did you end up in Indianapolis? Uh, towards the end of my time in, at Grace Community Church, uh, excuse me, at the end of my time at the Master's Seminary, mm-hmm. uh, I had been serving in different capacities. And uh, John and I had a conversation about the possibility of me serving on staff as a pastor. That's what I had gone to seminary for. That's what I wanted to do. And uh, he graciously offered me the invitation to come on staff in the capacity as a student ministries pastor. And I had told him that I had I aspired to that, to serve as an associate pastor, but I ultimately desired to be a teaching pastor in a church as a senior pastor. And it was kind of my desire to do so for about five years of time. And I just made that number up just because I needed some time to grow and mature in my own uh, pastoral ministry and my own instincts. Uh, I didn't want some church out there to be the victim of my youthfulness mm-hmm. and my uh, cavalier attitude that maybe I knowingly was going to practice in ministry. And so Grace gave me that place to pastor. But mm. the time came uh, in 2007 where I uh, talked with John along with some other elders in the church who were just of significant influence in my life, Chris Hamilton and others, who were very strategic and helped me identify that this is a good time for me to go. And I said I had wanted to do so and was really thankful for the opportunity. And in 2008, my wife and Two of my sons and I moved to uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, mm-hmm. 
where I pastor today and have pastored for the last seven years at Castleview Baptist Church, uh, a place that I'm glad to serve at today and was really a, a great place for me to go and pastor after having been training the pastorate while pastoring at, at Grace Community Church. Yeah, it's been awesome to see you up there just opening up the word and and uh, being a faithful expositor. Uh, one cool thing I've uh, had the opportunity just coming up there is seeing how you interact with your boys. you got three sons. Can you just talk about being how you are intentional in the things that you think about and raising specifically sons? Sure. So it is uh, it is a delight to me to have children. I certainly see children as a gift from the Lord. Uh, we have two sons biologically, one son by mm-hmm. adoption. They're age 10, 13, and 15 as of today. And it's my desire to prepare them for adulthood. Um, I often tell parents and certainly believe myself as a parent, I cannot promise or have any confident assurance that by the time my children leave my home that they'll be Christians. Mm. Now, I'm parenting to that end, and I'm certainly praying to that end. But at least if I can't provide the world a, a Christian by way of them transitioning out of my house, at least I can provide for them at least some sort of functioning citizen, contributing citizen. Uh, too often, children are raised in a home uh, where they are really handicapped in a lot of ways for life outside their home. Hmm. And so it's been my intention to kind of think through categories of life, of how my children need to learn how to engage. In a real practical, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, think of that socially. So how can I train my children now to interact socially in relational context that makes their ability to communicate loving? Well, that means they need to learn how to ask questions of other people. They need to learn how to listen to other people's answers. Uh, they need to understand how to include people in group discussions, not be selfish with those who they only like to talk to, and how to teach that to young children with friends, and how to let them observe that with their own parents and what they're doing there, and how to debrief on that. So I just began to think through different categories over the years, socially, financially, spiritually, uh, at a number of levels of how they can interact with. Take, for example, just the subject of biblical manhood, womanhood. It's been vitally important that my sons begin to learn to appreciate God-given roles, manhood and womanhood, of mm-hmm. male and female, and begin to almost role-play that by honor and service towards their mother. Mm. In our home, for example, uh, my wife is nicknamed the queen, and uh, we refer to her as the queen. And if from the very young age, we would always say, the queen doesn't open doors, we open doors for her. Uh, we, we serve her. We're glad to care for her. I'm trying to teach them instincts towards service and honor towards women, generally speaking, but particularly will be applied to their wife in the future. Hmm. And a number of ways in which we see that even worked out of why I work the way I do, why I want to provide the way I do, that that's a part of what it means to be a man. Hmm. And so one of the things, for example, for my parenting has been to teach my sons the value of work. Work came from God before the fall, not after the fall. Hard work maybe came after the fall, but not work. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean? So, for example, for my sons, it meant starting a lawn business at age 11 and then building that up within the neighborhood that now he makes tons of money every week, hiring his brothers to work, interacting. And it's not just the kind of classic summer job of lawns. That's also rain or shine. It also means sales. Responsibility. Exactly. Billing. It means, you know, being rejected at the door. It means difficult customers, preparing them for life. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think about was the category of finances. We typically say in our home, our kids need to learn how to make money, give money, 
save money, and spend money. Most children know how to spend money. Mm -hmm. It's not typically money that they've made. It's money that somebody else has made, and they spend it for them. And we want to teach them that money is a gift to express uh, values and priorities. And so how do our children even just learn to see that it's a gift from the Lord, how I learned to make that, then how I learned to give that open-handedly, how I learned to save that, not presuming upon the future, but preparing Mm -hmm. for it diligently and wisely, and then how I can learn to enjoy that today, where I would spend it on things I might care. Yeah. So your youngest son, Jeremiah, he is adopted. How did you and Danielle pray through that? How did you decide to to do that? Sure. Well, thankfully, we have, over uh, the years of our married life, been around couples and in local churches that have had a strong orphan care uh, culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was at Grace Community Church, it was an environment that was just had a strong love for the orphan, domestically, internationally as well. Uh, when I came to Castleview Baptist Church, same exact thing, a church that was passionate about caring for orphans domestically and internationally. So that was the air we breathed, and that yeah. was something we prayed for and we're glad to see people do. But for us personally, it became a turning point where we had talked about it for years in our marriage, but it became kind of clarifying for us in about uh, 2008, 2009, when we just got clarity on the realization that the interest in adoption was not solely, though it can be for some people, off the personal planning of family for yourself. Sometimes, for example, uh, families, mothers can have barren wombs, Mm -hmm. um, or there can be other health complications, and that might motivate them to begin to direct their gaze into caring for orphans is to kind of accomplish some family goals that they have for themselves. Well, we were very grateful to already have two sons. My wife had very difficult pregnancies, so we were told we could not have any more children. But we were very thankful with those two children. But in 2008, we began to just pray for and began to really think about them orphan, regardless of our home and our kids, the orphan, and began to pray through what would the least of these look like. We originally thought we'd adopt domestically, and we champion that even still today. But for us, our heart and our attention began to be drawn internationally. And uh, ignorantly, I just thought any orphan in the world could be adopted. And I you know, had to be thankfully educated by some well-meaning and caring yes. Christians. Who yeah, not quite right. Not yeah. quite right. And, uh, and in our situation, we had our attention turned to Ethiopia due to the extreme uh, representation of their orphans and the need to care. And so we had looked to who would we adopt. Well, we thought Ethiopia because of their huge amount of orphans. Uh, we know that oftentimes, a lot of times, uh, infants are looked towards. And so we thought, well, the least of these would be an older child. Hmm. And we also knew that girls sometimes are looked towards more favorably than boys. So we just kind of kept praying through the least of these and kept drawn to Ethiopia, an older child, a boy. And so in 2009, God uh, just graciously provided us with our third son, Jeremiah. Hmm. Bancroft, and uh, for the last six years, it has been a joy to be his dad, and for him to be a Bancroft and be fully folded into our yeah. family life together. Yeah, that's what I've noticed. He just seems to just relate really well with your sons, and mm-hmm. he's just one of the gang. Mm-hmm. So, at, at first, were there any differences like that you had to think through since he's adopted, or did you just say, "Hey, I'm just going to treat him like uh, like the others," or how did you kind of nuance that? Sure. Well, we did tell our other two sons before Jeremiah came home that there might initially appear to our two oldest sons to be some inconsistency in our parenting. 
where the two oldest were held to a level mm -hmm. of responsibility and accountability that the youngest one looked like he was going to be getting away with things. And we told them that the reason was because we had started uh, at ground zero with them. Mm -hmm. And they had the very beginning time of their time in our home from infancy to establish an environment of love and care and security by which instruction or correction would be then best understood as an extension of that. Where Jeremiah didn't have that. So we told our sons, uh, Isaac and David, in the beginning, there are going to be things that Jeremiah would do that were going to be wrong, and he would not receive the same consequence that maybe his older brothers would. He would be spoken to about it. Mm -hmm. It would be corrected, but maybe not the same corresponding consequence. And the reason was because he wanted to create an environment where when that consequence would inevitably come down the road, he would see it as a larger extension of love mm. and security and affirmation and identity in our family, as opposed to it maybe undermining or causing an insecurity that if he didn't behave, he would be out to teach him nothing could be further from the truth. Mm. So there was about a six month or so transition time where it seemed like there was two tracks of parenting going on in mm -hmm. our house. And uh, thankfully, God in his grace, it brought to a time where our two youngest sons, Jeremiah and David, committed the same infraction, we'll say. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the youngest son got to see his older brother receive punishment that he realized, oh, that's what this is all about. And he wasn't being treated differently. He's being treated the same. Hmm. And, uh, and that was helpful to us was he hmm. kind of transitioned into that. Hmm. Well, you kind of touched on this a minute ago, talking about John MacArthur and just his, his interaction with your sons. But what would you say to pastors, uh, ministry leaders out there that are thinking through parenting while they're in ministry? How do those go hand in hand? Are there any things in particular that you would just say to them that they need to think through? Yeah, I, I think it's wise for pastors to uh, to allow themselves uh, to be content in their identity as parents. You don't find a lot of accolades for being a good dad. You don't find a lot of affirmation by your peers necessarily in ministry. Uh, th that's largely a private practice that you're doing out of the faithfulness to the scriptures, out of the integrity of your life as a godly man. And I find that sometimes younger men, which are typically by season identified with great aspiration, appreciate principally marriage and parenting, but practically want to expedite that area of their life to get into what's next, what they aspire to do, where they aspire to go, uh, what they aspire to accomplish, all of which I trust is for the kingdom and for the mm -hmm. honor of Jesus Christ. However, they sometimes miss the reality that they have, relatively speaking, of their potential ministry life, a rather short window to invest in their children. And there needs to be a governor on some of those aspirations in a way that does not create what does come for some pastors later in their ministry life, which is a tension by how they're known by those publicly mm -hmm. and how they're known by their family privately. And so I think for me, it's just been a continued reminder that I take great delight, not out of a simple duty, though I feel the duty, but a great delight in being a father. It's a joy. Mm. It's a stewardship of these gifts that my God has given to my wife and I. And we find that very enjoyable. That does not mean that 
I don't have other aspirations or I'm not involved even in other endeavors, but it means that I realize this is a particular season that I have to invest into them. And I don't want to miss that chance because I'm looking at my oldest now. I have him for three more years, Mm. not knowing exactly how the details of the timing of his transition of our house will happen. And his son's brothers after that for six more years. So, Relatively speaking, three to six more years is a is a small window of time that's worth all of my energies being invested there, uh, maybe in a way that I wouldn't do so 10 years from now, because I don't need to. I can invest in other ways. And I think also it needs to be said, it's important that our children not only see us being faithful to them as parents, but also as parents faithful in front of them as parents as a husband and wife. I find that sometimes there is a false dichotomy with people in ministry where they will actually exert great energy in their parenting, collectively as partners in marriage, mm-hmm. but actually have a disconnect between the endeavor to parent and the endeavor to pursue a really good, vibrant marriage. What ends up happening is oftentimes when those kids do leave the house, they turn and look at each other like two roommates who've had this shared group project for years. Now that the final exam has been given and they've taken that test and they've gotten a different grade depending on how they assess themselves, they don't know what to do with each other. I think that's part of actually the parenting endeavor is to model a godly mm-hmm. marriage where my children see their mother being loved well by their father is actually part of our discipling of them that they might aspire to in their own future marriage aspirations. Hmm. So what are some ways that you try and think about that on a weekly basis, monthly basis? I think from, as I consider marriage, I think I want my children to have memories of me seeing, uh, of, I want my children to have memories of seeing me treat their mother as a priority. So practically speaking, it's not a practice of ours in our home to disappear into our different bedrooms in the evening after dinner. We're in, we're in shared common family space. Secondly, it's not a practice of my wife's and I to kind of go our different ways in our own hobbies or reading interests. We'll share common space. Even if we're reading different books together, we will then share what we're reading with one another. Uh, They know that I'm regularly committed to dating their mother on a weekly basis. During the daytime, while they're at school, or at nighttime while they're home doing homework or doing whatever they might be doing. They know that I take their mother away and have been doing so for the last 19 years of our marriage every single year as much as time or money can afford the opportunity to get away and to do a marriage retreat where we evaluate our marriage. It's what I call the whole inspection, H-U-L-L. Just put our ship up in dry dock and walk around Mm -hmm. our marriage and take a look at it and then speak about that. They also see me speak honorably of their mother as my wife when they might wrestle as young adolescent boys struggling with how to interact with and relate to their mother who is seemingly putting a ceiling on their aspirations towards young adulthood and how I can commend her to them as not only their mother, but my wife who loves them and as I love her, that they should appreciate her and really value her in their life. And so I think those disciplines and other means is a means by which they realize not only is this our mother, but this is also our dad's wife. He loves her. We're learning how to think of women in light of how he treats her. And now they begin increasingly to have a high view of marriage that one day when they begin to think through their own marriage, that they might have at least a reference point 
not a perfect one, but a reference point that they can aspire to in their own marriage context. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Not just a mother, also dad's wife. So if I'm a, uh, you know, I'm living in central Indiana, Indianapolis, uh, what are some distinctives of Castleview? Castleview is a is a unique and great church. We have uh, existed as a church since 1897. We started as a mission church and uh, have had different locations, but been the same body each time. And so I am a, a humble uh, recipient as a pastor of many faithful people who have pastored and shepherded mm-hmm. there years before me. As far as today in 2015, distinctives of the church, I would say, is that we are a multi-generational, increasingly multi-ethnic ministry of people who love the gospel and who really love their community in light of the gospel. We're strong in being known for orphan care. Uh, We're uniquely positioned to reach Japanese people in our community. Uh, It's an interesting fact. uh, Indiana has 40,000 Japanese-speaking people in the state due to the automotive-related industry. Mm -hmm. And we have a number of people in our church who are Japanese or speak Japanese. And we've just seen that as God's unique timing for us to be able to reach a community of people who are here for a season of time that we can, through ESL and other sports outreaches, be able to connect with them and have relationships for the gospel. And we also think of ourselves as somebody who is connected not only through our orphan care and through our Japanese ministry, um, but I think also through the general opportunity to reach our community through different sports endeavors that we've had together here. I think, you know, but truthfully, what we're trying to be at the same time is not be known for being necessarily unique before we're trying to be a common faithful church. Mm. I think sometimes the temptation today is churches are trying to somehow present themselves as unique at the expense of the common core consistencies of every faithful local church throughout the years. I mean, we're committed to expositional preaching, biblical theology. We're committed to biblical qualified leaders, faithful elders, who both by example and by practice towards others are shepherding people in the church. We have a lot of people who come to our church who are not used to that. They think Sunday as being a place that you, church being a place you go on a Sunday, but not necessarily a community that you identify with and congregationally in relationship become evangelistic because of relationship with one another. Mm. So that's been a sweet thing for us to see. By no means a perfect church. We have a lot of room for growth, but God is blessing as we continue to pray and labor and uh, seeing the fruit of that. Yeah. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, giving your insight into uh, parenting young men. So it's been been good having you, man. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please visit us at cbmw.org, where you will find more resources to equip you to think biblically. We would also like to tell you about an exciting upcoming opportunity at CBMW. In April, we will be hosting a T4G pre-conference, The Beauty of Complementarity. The event will feature 27 speakers in two days, including John Piper, Jackie Hill Perry, Mary Cassian, Alistair Begg, and Darren Patrick. Please visit our website for more details. Again, thanks for listening.